Hi everyone, Raphael Harry here, and you're listening to White Label American, a podcast where we hear stories from an immigrant or two, sometimes more. Thank you for listening and enjoy the show. Welcome to another episode of White Label American. Thank you all for joining us today. Today I have a wonderful guest who's um, someone who touched me in a, in a fantastic way. I was um, made aware of today's guest through a mutual fan, friend of the podcast who hasn't been on the podcast for, for a while, but she she's a mutual friend who we both share and um, Jules Ryan and when today's guest put me on her book I you know a few years ago I probably would have said ah, I'm, I'm not uh, gonna go too deep into this book I'd have read a few chapters and said I'm done but now I'm at the stage of my life where I learned to appreciate new information and new um, knowledge that comes my way and especially things I'm not too aware of and there's a lot of information that was also in this book that made me aware of, uh, that I was aware of um, certain things I was already aware of. So it's fantastic to have somebody that crosses a whole lot of dimensions and opens doors to different chapters of life. So without much further ado, I introduce today's guest, Dr. Mensima Shabazz, a transformational coach, teacher, and author. And I highly recommend that you all check out her book, Sankofa. And um, how are you doing today, doctor? I'm doing very well. Thank you for all, having me. All right. It's and, our pleasure. I thank Jules for connecting us. Oh, yes. Jules is a fantastic friend of the podcast and shout out to her always. So without uh, wasting time, uh, let's, let's dive in. So I, I went through your book and I decided to change my format of interviewing, which Usually, I just drop all my questions outside of, you know, I just I have my usual templates that I go with. But I decided to use your book as a guide to drawing up my questions. So there was a line that caught my attention early in your book that you were born with total awareness of one's self. So um, what does it mean to be born with total awareness of one's self? Well, I think if I go through looking at it from an inner world, right, it, it means that I was aware of my feelings and desires. And, you know, if you watch kids very well, mm-hmm. um, they know what they want. Yes. Right. And they, they usually tell us what they want. So I'm looking at it from a grown up perspective, what it is that I felt at that time. Oh. Right. So. Uh, that's what I mean by being consciously aware of those things. All through my life, I've always been aware where I am, who I am with, how I feel about those people, um, how we interact or not, yes. and what pulls me in and out of situations, right? So that's what I mean by that. So you, you, you just uh, triggered a memory in me and I think, uh, how old was I back then? I probably was around the age of uh, 
probably between the ages of 12 and 14. Yeah, I think no, between the ages of 12 and no, probably 11 and 13, you know, that one. And there was this man who, he's, he's late now from what I've been told. He was one of my tribesmen and he lived in our city. So he used to hang around us, uh, come to our house a lot. Because my mom was one of the uh, most senior by status, by one of the most senior people in our tribe who mm -hmm. uh, was around. But we, could, we weren't the uh, big tribe in that city. And right. so, it, so the network, you know, people of our tribe always came around her. Like, you know, you got food, you got drinks. But it was something right. like, you know, if you weren't of her status, you came around the house every now and then. So he, he he's, I, I think the name we just knew him by was Barrister. And Barrister mm -hmm. always come around. And he had stories every now and then. And I remember one time he said something about he could remember his, his uh, he, he, could remember, he, had, he could remember his childhood memories of when he was, around the ages of one and two. And his right. elder sister used to carry him on her back. You know, she tied him, you know, they carry us and tied him to her back. Because I think he was maybe, maybe the youngest or second youngest kid in his family. Right. And my elder sister was like, that's a lie. You're too young, that, you, that you're way too young to, to remember that. And it became a big argument. Like, how, how can you remember that? No, no, nobody, that's not normal for somebody to remember that. He said, no, he could remember that, the, 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 the farm, the animals he saw in the farm, in the village, and he was describing stuff that he remembers all that he yeah, you at that age. And, and I was like, huh? And I was there like, well, but why is this a big argument? But, you know, my teenage self, I was like, I don't care. I want to go play. And I, I left them. But they were arguing. It became a big argument. And he, it just came to my mind now when you started talking about that. He, he said he remembered life at that age, even though he couldn't put it in words, but he remembered right. I, I remember a lot of things going back very little. So yeah, that's what I meant. For example, I remember my grandmother uh, giving me piggy rights, you know, what you mm -hmm. were just describing. Yeah. I remember that clearly. That was my, I don't know how old I was, but I remember that clearly, that I was always, you know, when she woke up uh, early in the morning at dawn to prepare her pastries and stuff, she put me on her back. And you know, went about her business. So, yeah, I think that's what he was describing. Then my elder sister wouldn't have have it. She was like, "Hell no, 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 no normal human being should be able to remember that." And uh, it, no, it, we, it, it was just weird that you know, I don't know why she she thought so, but she just shut him down, tried to shut him down immediately, and it's unfortunate. But it's now that it's coming back to me that yeah, someone someone was talking about something like that around me in, at one point in my life. And to me, I, I was like, okay, well, I guess since someone in my family said it's not normal for a human being to remember such memories, then maybe I already started shutting down mine because right, no. I was the oldest if person open, in my family. That's if we it. open up, mm -hmm. it, you know, you would be able to journey into that part. Yeah. The life, yeah. Yeah. So with that being said, um, now, I have to ask this question. What will you consider your favorite childhood memory? And you could pick one or two, but what will you go with as your favorite childhood memory? Well, I want to say, you know, I was very adventurous for a girl, right? So um, I played soccer with my uh, brother and my cousin, uh, another 
you know, we were very close living all in my grandfather's home. And I used to laugh uh, so hard, you know, with joy, right? That yeah. I, could, I could almost feel like everybody in heaven heard me. That's how I felt. That's how happy I was um, as a child, running around, you know, just experiencing life uh, was, was really exciting for me. I would, I would describe it as it being exquisite. Yeah. Right. That, that was how it felt when I was growing up. Nice. That was before I went to boarding school, but you know, mm -hmm. yeah. It's it's always fascinating how um, almost I would, I would say probably ninety five percent of the guests on on this podcast their um, favorite childhood memories come from being outdoors. Mm -hmm. It's fun though being outdoors. Oh, yeah. The weather is nice. You could play even, and... even when the weather wasn't nice. We, 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 we... Yeah, <laughs> that I, I remember that too when it was raining really hard. Uh, and I see kids running through the rain, you know, just making, you know, having fun <laughs> so, and playing. Uh, yeah. yeah. And, and um, it, it, sometimes we, we, we have even tied um, traits from just being outdoors from what people were doing from their f favorite childhood memories. You can see traces of what they were doing back then to what they are doing now you know right. I, I remember one of my guests and i, I, I pointed out like hey did you, did, have you ever looked back to to see what you're doing today have you realized that what you're doing today that it started with your favorite childhood memory and he's like oh i didn't even put that together this is like the first time and he's like one of the biggest surgeons in the uk but it's it's it was there. It, it was there even before he went to university, before he decided I'm going to study. But there were certain traits that from just playing outdoors, it's that's when it began. It began to build in him. And you know, other people it's something, but from playing outdoors with these developed certain traits and characteristics, which you know, it starts to grow in us. But we don't something you know, like like for me, we never had I never had the language. Or anyone describing certain things, so I would think that it's until I went to university or until I joined the military that somebody then that's when I developed that um, characteristics or that ability. But I, but right. when I look back in my life, I was like, oh no, I was doing that way way earlier. I was doing that way way earlier. So I started, I was already developing, but nobody put that language in me that oh this is it. You you already you already had leadership qualities right from when that's you were playing true. outdoors, when you were doing this, when you were doing that. When you, you were already talking to people who may have been older than you or stronger than you, and you were like, oh, no, no, you were taking charge of them. Like, you were already right. exhibiting your future self. You know, I was like, but wow. If, if you think about it, you know, our elders did not um, allow us, and I think, you know, I describe in my book mm -hmm. how we weren't supposed to be showy and, yes. you know, et cetera, right? But our elders instilled in us the discipline of, um, expressing ourselves without um, making it like I'm the best in this, right? You just went with the flow of it and you grew into it, right? So if you had leadership qualities or let's say for women or for young girls, mm -hmm. if they see that you could be a good nurturer, they led you along the path of nurturing, 
So they, you know, um, bring other people into your experience that will highlight that nurturing without you knowing why they're doing it, mm -hmm. right? And then by the time you grow up, it, it almost unfolds naturally, you know, to you. You step into that role versus in, in a Western um, education, everything is labeled and, you know, in a compartment where you have to then apply certain rules and then it becomes more rigid okay. as you go along, right? Yeah. At the same time, um, there are certain exhibits that one may have at that age, which our people may consider rebellious or di a disrupt a disruptor, mm -hmm. and like oh this 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 one is uh, like Nigeria saying this one is no good though, no good. Uh, they need to fix this one. This one is it's not like the it's not like all the good ones in in the family. You're not like the good the good sheep. We need you to be like the good sheep. So. Right. You need to toe the line, and yeah. In in sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Oh no no, you, you can go ahead. In I think in our cultures, uh, the elders know who will be responsible for what. I mean, they would know who will cause trouble when they grew up, and who wouldn't, right? And so they they were aware of all the those characteristics. It wasn't ignored at all. Um, but most of the time they nurtured the good things because everyone has something good in them, uh -huh. right? So they nurtured the good things, hoping that uh, if you happen to fall into those few people uh, with the categories of being, doing bad things, that by the time you grew out, you would have grown out of the tenders, you know, the propensity to be bad, right? So... Yeah, but I, I still feel like it was in a way. I I I still don't feel they got most of it right when it comes to the the definition of bad. Because it's like they if if they feel you're challenging authority, then it's like we need to beat this one down and separate you from the flock. But sometimes you need that energy, that firebrand, because it's challenging of authority wasn't encouraged. In, by most elders, it, 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 that's where the, the, the consideration of disrespect comes in, because like like I give an example in my family. Like uh, I, I remember one time I, I, don't, I, I don't even know what led to this argument, but all of a sudden I, I I I think I was like seven years old, and I asked, "Where's all the money I've been getting as gifts?" I know every time I elders or visitors come, they give me gifts, but it goes to that my mom or it goes to my elder sister because I'm the, the age gap between myself and my siblings is uh, my my oldest, um, my next oldest sibling is eleven years older than I was. So he, he used to take all my money. He he would trick right. me and say fifty kobo. If they uh, take he got fifty kobo and I got one naira and he would say Do you want fifty take the fifty, and he would take my one naira which is bigger. So I one day he just triggered me like no I'm not getting where's all my money I'm not where, I want my money back, and my mom was like uh, who feeds you and. Um, do you pay rent in this house? And you know, and uh, you know what? Go pack your things and and leave. But it should have been handled much differently because. So I ended up packing all my clothes and had this big luggage and made me drag it all through the steps. And when I got to the door, they, um, they said, "Oh, wait, wait! Take off every clothes, everything that I bought my money. Take it off." And 
only live with the stuff you bought yourself. I never knew. I, didn't, I don't know what stuff I bought. So I ended up in, in my underwear. And I tried to leave. And they're like, oh, no, no, no. You did not buy that yourself. I bought it. So you can leave with, with naked. Well, <laughs> so so, they, put, <laughs> so I, I, I they allowed me to tie a towel, though. <laughs> but I, I agree with you that yeah. it, it was harsh. But it also gave you the impression or at least knowledge that everything is community-based, right? So if mm -hmm. somebody gives you money, it doesn't belong to you alone. It belongs to the group. Well, you know, yes, the family, but right? I, I, I'm, I'm coming. There's, there's still something coming up because <laughs> down the, like probably seven, seven years later, you know, mm -hmm. dynamics will change and I'm staying with another family member and I help them start a business. And the business does successful is a poultry. I've never done poultry in my life. Never. I was spoiled, actually. I was spoiled growing up and then things changed. My mom's no longer in Nigeria. <laughs> I have to go steal this person. I'm like, there's barely food for me. Now the life has changed. But that's not a problem. I can adapt quickly and adapt. And I start um, raising chickens, doing all that before I go to school. All, everything, all the chickens eat, are eating better than I'm eating. Sell everything. And okay, they're like, okay, uh, do we get paid for this job? And what's the same, the same line I get hit with? Is that same line. Uh, you're staying in my house. Do, 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 who feeds you? And all that. Okay, all right. So the next job I'll get is another family member who I will help with the business again and... Her best friend was actually trying to get me to switch to her company because they liked the way I helped this family member start her own business, build it up from scratch, and it became like a top event management company in the city. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't getting paid. So the first day, for six months, now I'm a, I'm a young adult. And for six months, I never got paid. And one day I was like, hey, um, I don't even know how to ask for my own money. But I'm the one in charge of paying other people. Like one time, she actually over. She, there was over too much money. She thought she gave me um, like maybe sixty thousand naira, but it was like one hundred and twenty thousand naira to go give somebody. And I realized that she overpaid. And I brought her money back, and she was like, "Wow, other people would have put that money in their pocket or run away." But I wasn't that type. And I told her, and I still didn't get any money. She didn't give me anything. But the first day well, I asked for my own pay, I got fired. Well, I, and, I think you know. So, but. In a, in a way, that messaging had gone into my head. Like, don't ask for what, for your own pay. Because if you're with family, you know, you, you just told the line. You can't ask, challenge authority. So now I moved to the United States. What's the first job I get? You know, you start seeing people like, how much do you want? I don't know how to ask for my own pay. It has to take me going over 10 years before I go to therapy. And my therapist will say, why don't you ask for... Why don't you know how to negotiate for your own pay? I know how to negotiate. Like I bought stuff for the Navy. I negotiate for the government. I was doing all that. But for my own pay, I don't know how to negotiate that. And a therapist has to come tell me, like, oh, there's a mental block somewhere because you have, everybody has been telling you, don't, you know, you, you, you've mentally created that. There's a mental block that's been created. Like you don't know how to say, um, yeah, I deserve to be paid. I did the work. I did the sweat. But it's like, oh, this one has challenged, you can't challenge the authority here, so you keep quiet. You can't challenge authority here, you keep quiet. You can't challenge authority here. And it becomes something that you start getting used to. So when people exploit you, 
you keep quiet. And I was like, oh, you know what? I never knew. So how many other people are like that? Just because quite, you identify as bad. There are quite a few. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I think it also depends on uh, the family structure. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, so whilst I would say this experience you had is common, it, it's not with everybody. There are also other families that also push their kids to, you know, really be diligent about asking for the things they think they deserve, right? Nope. And and find a way to get it. So it's it's unfortunate, but you know, all families are there are things that are so good and things that are not so good within each structure, right? Yeah, but that, that's why I always speak about it and right. challenge that it should be out there. We should be challenging it and it shouldn't be a problem with, because I believe people are quick to say this child is bad. So separate the child. But sometimes it's it, 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 like my, my second niece, I noticed that in her quite early. She always asks questions, always. She was inquisitive right from age two, three. She's like, why, 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 why is this? Why do you do that? Why is this color this? And the adults who didn't have answer, what was the first thing they say? Shut up. The Bible said, and or they hide over. And I'm, I'm like, wait, you all did this to me. I start remember, I start recognizing, uh, you all did this to me. Don't do this to this girl. Don't do this to this girl. Stop that. Because no, no, someone, someone had to step in and start saying, and then of course, you, that's how you become the black sheep if you start doing that. But I've started, I saw it in other people's, but you know, it becomes something that is a societal thing because when people are not used to having the answer, it's easier to now say, I'm an elder. Don't challenge me. Know your place. Because like even, even the protests going on in Nigeria right now, the NSAS movement, there are people, who, a friend of mine brought that thing to me in an inbox, like, uh, how dare you disrespect the president? I said, what this is the lead that you have the right to ask him questions. You can't be in authority and people can't ask, but there's a way it starts playing out in other ways too. Because if you can't ask your family, the head of your family questions, then why can you ask the governor questions? Why can you ask the mayor questions? Then why would you ask the president questions? Because they will now say, oh, but it's a community, you know. They, they, people now use that to oppress because they slowly and surely it starts being like it must be you must be you must accept being beat down. You must accept it because we, you take care of, let the head eat and then the next person and then the crumbs will get to you and you're like, uh, no, I don't accept. I have a right not to. And because guess what? It's women who get beat down the most. That may be true, uh, but I, I think it, you know, it depends on the context, right? Mm -hmm. um, it, when when we generalize things, it diminishes the roles that we play. Each each group, you know, children play their roles, the women play their roles, men play their roles. And so it's not all the time that women are marginalized. It's not all the time that children are marginalized, right? You find in every society and every culture group there are things within it that doesn't function as well. Yeah. But it, it's not in general to say um, all women are treated a certain way, right? 
because in my family, the women were very different. I'd, I mean, you know, we, and I, I would say this, um, I did a video recently where I was describing how women uh, within the community were treated. Mm-hmm. Some had power. I mean, the market women, for example, have power. Yes. They are in charge of the food distribution in the country. True. And they are able to coordinate from one end of city, village, town, etc., to the next throughout the whole country. So when we don't recognize that role they play, and we only see them in a role as a wife or a mother or you know something else then we are marginalizing their roles, right? Yeah. I, think, I think there's a balance between all these uh, relationships and functions that we all hold in the, in the family and in a group, the extended family and the community, you see? So for example, when I was growing up as a young girl, I noticed um, the farmer uh, and his wife or farmers and their wives uh, typically will go to the farm early in the morning. And on their way back home, you see the woman uh, carrying the load of food that they would use for the week, uh, because sometimes they go once a week or twice a week. But you yeah. see them carrying the plantain, the yams, the um, palm nuts, etc., on their heads and they have a baby on their back sometimes. And the man is walking behind her, a few feet behind her with only the cutlass under his arm and walking, he's not carrying anything, right? Mm -hmm. And I used to be flabbergasted by it. Like, what the heck is this? They get home and the woman gets busy in making sure there's a bath for the man while she's preparing dinner bathing the children. I mean, it's a whole host of activities going on for one person to manage, True, right? But when we flip it and look at how the community functions, the queen mother, at least in my, uh, in the Akan tribe, is the person who approves of who becomes king, Yes, right? So the women have power, but it's behind the scenes. It's not as in your face as the men would. Mm-hmm. In fact, it's the women that are directing the men on how to do certain things, you know? Um, and, and, and so if those things were exposed, you see that things change and they look different. You know, another example I'll give is you have women uh, doing their uh, menstrual cycles do not cook for their husbands yeah. uh, for about a week or so. They don't cook, they don't do any, um, they don't have any responsibilities during that week for the husband and the children. They, they take care of themselves pretty much. Technically, it's a rest period for the women, right? That is the time they are at their highest power spiritually so they don't have to do those things and men don't you know interfere with that process 
But when it's interpreted within the Western um, frame of women's empowerment, they look on it like, oh, is the man shunning the woman during that period because they find her dirty? Do, do you see how, yeah. you know, so we have to be careful when we are generalizing what is occurring in each unit, the family unit, the extended family unit, the community at large and the country at large. Because in my family, you know, the men didn't behave that way. You know, I didn't see, you know, I, one of my aunts, for example, my goodness, was tough. And I could see her drill men into place if she had to, right? So what is the dynamic that makes her able to do that, whereas in another, somebody else is not able to? My favorite family uh, members was my aunt, my late aunt now. Uh, and she was a market woman. And uh, I was too young to understand the, the dynamics then. But she, she also was, uh, she was infamous for, no, no man could step up to her. No man could, she like put men in their places. And even when it came to like the few men who were like, I'll take on you physically, there were, there were stories like she, she, she would challenge you to wrestling match. And she, she, would, <laughs> she would defeat you. But re wrestling is something that is very common in uh, my tribe. We, we are very good at wrestling. It's something that we, we use a lot as a sport. So, right. uh, but well, one, one thing about, uh, you are very right when, you come, when it comes to the market women. It's they are like the most powerful people who do not get credit. It's one thing that I've noticed, and over time I've even come to realize that, like when it comes to many African countries, the independence movement did not begin with the the version that exists of um, the soldiers returning back from World War II. They played a role, but the unsung heroes are the market women who actually began a revolution. And if you check many countries, you see that there were people who stood up to each colonial power and defeated them. And like in Nigeria, there's the first, um, tri uh, the first union ever formed was by market women to defeat the British who tried to tax them, the ninth, uh, the ninth, market, uh, ninth market women. The British couldn't figure out how that informal sector existed so they right. said that they wanted to tax them and they had one of the kings in the west uh aligned with the british and they used him to go after them and the head of the, the women came together and they are, they are the head of the women pelumura who was like the spiritual uh, the spiritual head uh who she was like the mentor of um fela's mother because fela's mother would take over from her right. um fumilayo ransom kuti who is actually the mother of Nigeria's independence, but she's not in Nigeria and our textbooks. The only thing, the credit she got was the first woman to drive to get a driver's license in Nigeria, which is just that that's how you know the British influence is still in Nigeria's textbooks. But Pelumura got the women to outsmart the British and they didn't pay taxes to the British and they went on strike. And when you can't get food, yeah, people will not, uh, you, you, you pissed off a lot of people. And this, they, they arrested her. They, it, it, it's like 
you know, the the, the protest now, I wish people now, because many people now don't, are not still aware of these things. And this woman took on the might of the British Empire and defeated them. But they arrested her, they took her to court, imprisoned her and all that. But they realized that if they touched her in any way, it would get only get worse. So they freed her. And in the end, that king abdicated his throne. So the women defeated him. But it's like we, uh, uh, it's like they decided you can't have this woman, this group of women celebrated. So erase them from history. So you don't have them in any textbooks. Nobody knows about them. And Fela's mother will take over from them and start pushing them forward. And the person known as the father of Nigeria's independence, Herbert Macaulay, who started out in Ghana with his newspaper and then moved to Nigeria, he heard about the women because he, he was just an upcoming journalist when they started. And he started befriending them. So he got his start from those women. And he gets right. to the credit of being the, the father of Nigeria's independence. So when Nigeria is now, Britain is finally okay with giving Nigeria independence, who did they invite to the meeting? All men. Where are these women? None of the women are there. Well, the I women are, you know, they're, they're kept out, but it's for, a good it's, for, it's for a good reason on the, the, the colonial side. Because people live, they, they forget it. Because on the eastern side, there was another protest too. The, the earlier protest where... Um, same thing because they weren't taxing women, also the women, the traders. And when they tried to, it backfired with the police attacking a woman who he tried to arrest. One, one of their police officers tried to um, wrestle a woman. She beat him. She beat him up. He went man on man, uh, one hand to hand with her, and she beat him up. And then she told the other women, and then it led to a protest. And by while they were protesting, a colonial officer drove into the crowd of women. And that will now lead to Eastern, other Eastern states um, retaliating in protest. In what the, it's, it's now being framed as the Abba riot that, because in our textbooks, it's just said that women strip down naked to protest. But the full story is never given in the textbooks. But the full story was that they implemented it illegal tax on women. And women said, no, we are not accepting it. But market women came together and challenged the authorities. So they've always had powers. They've always stood up. The traders, people who we've always looked down on, like, oh, the, the informal sector, because you did not go to school. School as in you don't have the degrees. You don't have that paper, that diplomatic, that uh, diploma, like, you know. So we look down on them. But they were the ones who gave us the first union. They showed us how to organize. They were the first activists. But we don't have statues of any of them. We don't have any recognition. Uh, we don't get recognize them. We only, only, only those of us who, we, we, only those of us who've read are able to. Because if I talk to people, I've talked to people who are organizing this protest right now. Only they say youths, youths. But if the youths don't recognize the market women for the protest, you. you because all every political party, what's the first thing they do? They go talk to the market women. Like, look, I'm running for office. I need your support. Why do they do that? They, I'm using Nigeria as an example. Why do you do that? It's a template that's been laid down from 100, 100 years ago. And people know, people, the younger ones are not still aware that it's something that exists for a reason. Well, the market 
you see the market women and it's not only the market women right yeah. they are a, a section of the pop, you know women with power mm-hmm. um but there are other sections there let's use the market women for example they have contacts i mean networking from one region of any state to the next right yes. they have money lots True. of money in fact they have more money than most of the time they are husbands indeed right? they they I can testify groups, to that right they form groups uh they have support groups where they meet weekly and you know talk about their spirituality their children the welfare of the communities right that they are in so behind i won't say behind the scenes they are just not looking when they wake up like typical men would do as to getting recognition out there as like me 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 i did this look at me kind of thing Oh well, when I say recognition I don't I don't need I don't mean it has to be me me but when you talk to a, uh, a Nigerian you talk to people from the country and everybody's always saying these are the people who gave us what we have and people are saying bring the british back because there are a lot of Nigerians today saying bring the british back to fix this mess that's where the solution lies and I'm like you do realize that The British the British struggled with this these people challenged the British and British couldn't defeat them. You do you know that? And they don't know. Nobody knows that these are people who the amount of power that they have it's not known. That's why I'm saying the, the recognition is not there because if you know what you have why will you be asking for an uh, external power to come back? The people who came and were just taking and taking and taking you won't be saying that. But you don't know what you have because you still look down on them and like oh these these people are just they they sell in dirty stalls they don't uh they are not in in they are not in they are not in shopping malls they're not in nice fancy places they are in uh, they are exposed to the elements of weather so yeah what kind of power do they have and that's the mentality that many people still look at these women under so but if they were recognized as in in the textbooks you go to school and you 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 all you see is every other person except the group of people who actually gave you the the freedom that you have right now why would you even consider them worthy of anything or, or worthy of consultation you won't consider them that you like these people don't matter why <laughs> they don't count and that's the point i'm making because every day i get new information and i i find out like, oh they played a role in this country they played a role in that country and every other person's independence is not just a group of men who challenge their colonial power of like hey give me independence but it's no it's it's not like that there are a bunch of women who played a role in many places and it's like they were scrubbed off the the, the history books until maybe 30 years, 50, 60 years, 70 years later somebody comes up like hey, these are the people who started the movement for independence. So they deserve recognition. They deserve to be recognized. History deserves to be told right. And we we the same way we we have men who played a role in in the independence movement, these women should be part of the history. They should be part of the story. And that's the recognition that I'm asking for. I'm saying um should be part of um our our books should be part of the knowledge that the children have 
that everybody has. And once you know that, you will know how to approach whatever agenda or um, cause that you're going for, going forward. Otherwise, you'll just be going around in a circle and repeating the same mistakes of the past. That's the, that's the recognition that I'm, that, I, that, I, 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 that I'm asking, that I, that I, I keep um, saying that they deserve. Because they deserve it. It's not like they, they don't deserve it. Is this Nigerian or... Because in Ghana, we talk about Yas and Toa. Well, Ghana is a lot different in comparison to Nigeria. Right. I, so I give that. That's, so, yeah. yeah, that's the, you know... And, and um, one thing is that I hope, like, by saying this, I'm hoping that... You know, one or two Nigerians will listen. I'm not that popular in Nigeria, but one or two listen and be like, well, maybe, maybe there's something we can, you know, when they hear that Ghana is popular, that Ghanaians recognize their women, you know. Well, it's also if it's a matrilineal society, right? True. In Ghana, the Akan tribe is a matrilineal society. And so everything runs through the mother. Yeah. And, and, and because of that, there is power. You know, especially in our uh, local governments, in the way you know the local institutions are run, etc. Now, the complication in or the complexity in this is because we have also infused the Western approach. You know, the dynamic between men and women, right? Mm. Patriarchy, and and so it it kind of jumbles a lot of things as well. Yeah. Uh, Oh, did I ever tell you that my mom and like my, my grandfather was born in Ghana? Well, my grandfather wasn't born there, but he died in Ghana. You mentioned you had family in yeah. Ghana. Yeah. I, still, I still have family there, a whole bunch of them. Who okay. have, they have never claimed Nigeria. They, they're all Ghanaian. So if I, ever, if I ever need to go on exile, I'll probably go to Ghana. That would be good. <laughs> yeah, you know. Uh, do you watch the TV show Abishola? Uh, on CBS, um, Bob no, the, and the, the, the nurse is it? A, is she a nurse or a doctor? Yeah. No, I haven't, I haven't watched it. I, I remember somebody sending me the trailer, and I was like, uh, I'll get into it. But I, I don't have regular TV. I'm, I'm a cable. Uh, I don't. I don't have cable. I just do the the, the apps. So I don't have CBS. Okay. But is it is it good? Is it? It's very funny. Oh, it's okay. Funny. You said funny. I like funny shows. You know. It's very good. And, you know, in one of the episodes, they were talking about um, Bob being advised to uh, go after Ghanaian women because they will cause less trouble for him. Um, <laughs> and that, you know, Ghanaians are the uh, Canadians of Africa. Wow, um, you know, that's, so. that's a, that's, I've never heard that before. <laughs> <laughs> Ah, that was funny. Ah, mm -hmm. my Ghanaian, well, my Ghanaian will like that. Uh, Ghanaians are the Canadians of Africa. Mm, I don't think I've ever heard that before. That was... Well, that was the first time I heard that. But, you know, <laughs> it, was, it was very funny. <laughs> so. uh, okay, so still staying in Ghana. Um, mm -hmm. Well, we haven't stayed in Ghana that much. Let's 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 play in Ghana a little bit. So one okay. one one thing I found interesting in your book was uh, you mentioned something I wasn't expecting to see was um, coming up on Ghana's independence, your grandfather's action, um, Pani. Did I say his uh, name right? Pani. Yes, Pani. Yes. Right. Okay. So um, 
you talked about his actions during the election. And uh, so I, I, I kind of like, you know, something crossed my mind. And I was like, you know, this, there's been voter suppression on the continent. And it, it began like pre-colonial days. Right. And it's amazing that people like your grandfather, Pani, helped overcome voter suppression in his area. And, you know, but we, we, we didn't see, consider something like that as voter suppression. And it would take probably how many years or decades later for people to start realizing that this is a tool that we may have, you know, we, we didn't even realize where we inherited it from. So, no, why, why do you think that we ignore the seeds planted by colonialism in Africa when it comes to, like, voter suppression and only act like it's a brand new um, phenomenon? Um, um, I would say, you know, it's not that we've, we've ignored it as much as we don't know how to deal with it or how to break it, break, up, you know, away from that, right? So if you look at the current systems, of um, local government, especially in Ghana, where mm -hmm. we still have the royal family, you know, family, the chiefs, the kingdoms, you know, for Ashanti, Achim, all those different uh, tribes, etc. right? And then on top of that, we have the Western government, you know, which is the national government, etc. What was left at that level filter downward okay mm. so um people now understand the construct of power um in those terms that if you want to stay in power these are the things you have to do mm. even though you may be the minority yeah so voter suppression is expressed in so many different forms right so for example when we had Nkrumah overthrown um, in 66, and they instituted the military government, then they then rule by whatever force necessary. Yes. But to stay in power, they had to make sure that we could invoke. Yes. Or if there was voting, they could still override it. Now we're experiencing that in this country right now. So it makes it even more, uh, um, obvious as to the dynamic, mm -hmm. you know, between power, people who want absolute power and actually um, what they would do for that power, mm -hmm. right? And I think in, in Ghana and as some African countries had experienced, they adopted that approach. And how do we deal with it? Our traditional customs and the way we are supposed to behave uh, is in conflict with that approach, right? Yeah. If you're looking at things operating and working well within a community-based system, and then now you have one person who is indicating that it has to be my way or no other mm -hmm. way, it's in conflict and people don't know how to really um, separate the two or at least you know force the other one down and make it a unified approach. And we have to deal with these complexities, 
mm. you know, uh, as we go along. So that's what's been happening. And I don't think it will end soon because no. we still see part of this uh, European structure of government um, in place, working to a certain degree, sometimes inefficiently, but mm -hmm. that's what we've adapted as our model. Instead of adapting or including our traditional models within that framework in order for it to work well. All right, so we're still experimenting, I would say, um, and I don't think we're quite there yet. Yeah, that's, that's the word, experimenting. Mm -hmm. um, just on Thursday, there was, no, no, on Friday, either Thursday or Friday, there was a story that broke out in Kenya of um, one of their lawmakers showing up to parliament and they, he wasn't allowed to get in at first and he had to force his way in. He was dressed in native attire mm -hmm. and it caused an uproar that uh, the other parliament, um, I don't know if it's parliamentarians, they call themselves or Senate, I, can't, I don't know what they call their law yeah. body, but mm -hmm. uh, the other members were like, well, why, why, why is he dressed in native attire? And it's against the law and the speaker had to overrule and say he's allowed, it's okay for him to be here. But um, so he on the, he appeared on the program, he was on the program and he granted an interview and said, yeah, it's, uh, it's their country. Like, why are they still on the colonial rule? That it was the colonials that gave them the rule that said you can't dress in your native attire. And they've been supposedly independent for how long? And you can't still dress in your own native attire to your... Lawmaking law chambers. So um, now some other people have said, okay, if you allow him to show up in his native attire, I'll show up in my native attire. And he said, right. yeah, you should be able to show up in your native attire. And I was like, wow, I, that, this, is, um, <laughs> this is amazing. <laughs> this and is it, still a, an argument. <laughs> right. And it's taken this long. Yeah. Can you believe it? Yeah. It, it, but it, you see, this, um, I think the Europeans did and I'm not praising them by any means, but they did an effective job in making us doubt mm -hmm. our own uh, power and our own systems yeah. of being, right? We can go to the spiritual, the um, so many other forms, religion, et cetera. And they made us doubt it to the point where we're not sure whether it's okay to do our own thing without, you know, um, feeling some kind of way about we, it. We, we search for validation from the same people because exactly. if, if the Europeans said, oh, you guys are doing it right, then he, the others would have said, oh yeah, that it, it's, it's good to go. But exactly. as soon as it's your own fellow people saying, um, yeah, this is right. It's like, no, 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 no. I don't, I don't, I don't think this is the right way to go. This should be, no, I don't think right. this is, then an argument breaks out. So, you know, there was um, some, I think it was four years ago, I saw this platform and um, was it four years ago? No, no, it was about two years ago. And I think it was the uh, about, a, yeah, about a few years ago, the Nigerian presidential election. And the, the one of the biggest candidates dressed up in a suit and there were people debating, like, this guy never wears a suit. Why is he in a suit now? And then someone who's a social media influencer had the post up on his page. And I know I know the guy personally. And he made a comment that I was blown away by. I was like, what is going on? And he said, this guy is going to meet with world leaders. And they gave us democracy. 
So when you go to talk to them, you have to dress like them. And I was like, wait, what? How you of all people <laughs> should I thought you were, you know, you, 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 why are you making such a statement? So I had to like reach out to him personally and we ended up, we ended up arguing. And I pointed out that even his tribe, he, he's an Igbo. I said, your Igbo people had, the, the Igbos didn't have kings. It was, they, they, they only, they, like, I think they, one of, only one of their cities had like a big king, like in like other, like most Nigerian cities, they, they didn't have like kings. Most of the villages, the, the men met together and decided the oldest man in the village was like the umpire in English that would be umpire but the, the head of the village that the, the, he was the old the oldest man was the elder that sat down to like cast the last vote if they couldn't decide on everything on anything but all the men decided and took a decision do we go to war do we trade or anything? that's it all the men uh, voted on that that's a form of democracy the Yorubas had, you, uh, the king could be impeached. The king could be forced to abdicate the throne. If the king was misbehaving, uh, the kingmakers could have a meeting and if they presented, presented a certain calabash, that means you're fired, get out. Then you're done. And right. every tribe had something of a way or a check and balance for whoever was in charge, whoever was right. ruling. That's why right. even the King Jaja of Opobo, who was... Um, a slave at the beginning of his time could rise up to become a king. And so I'm pretty sure over on, on your side, you guys have, have, have checks and balances for your kings in the traditional way before colonialism came. Are you aware of stuff absolutely. like that? Yeah, absolutely. And that's where the women even played the, the biggest roles. Right? Well, I'm not surprised. So, <laughs> you know, the, the, you know the, the guy doesn't get to sit on the throne without the uh, queen mother. My, my, um, uncle, my uncle, had, my uncle, who is one of the Ghanaians, told me that. Yeah. <laughs> so that that dynamic still exists. Um, it hasn't changed, and that's why I was talking about the local government mm -hmm. structure, and the national government structure um, has to be embedded in a way. And, and in Ghana, at least, we're very lucky. The national government recognizes the local government. Mm. You know, they don't I, interfere. That's the difference with, the with Nigeria. We, we don't have something Yeah, they, like that. they don't interfere. Uh, the lands, everything are managed by the different tribes. Okay. You know, it's not managed by the go national government. Mm. So they can then have, let's say, one corrupt person come in and say, I'm taking the lands that belong to this tribe, mm -hmm. right? You can't do that. Uh, so... That is one of the reasons why I think we have managed to maintain peace, you know, within the local different tribes and governments. Wow. See, that, that's why I always tell people, like, you know, we, we, people need to be aware of, you know, what existed before colonialism. Right. And realize that uh there's no like there's this documentary on uh, on Netflix journey of an african colony and it talks about nigeria pre you know, the place called nigeria pre um pre colonization and um during colonization and you get to see the, like the true history of Ni nigeria and how women gave nigeria what nigeria has today and it's done by nigerians it's not like some white persons come to tell you the history and 
it's it's so beautiful that you you start seeing all the 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 um you 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 know there's uh, um one part of the interview where they're interviewing a historian and he he says oh colonialism gave us some, they gave us some good stuff you know like um he, he tries to go on that civilization path and like okay so explain can you ex- expand on that and then he's like um he can't really he he could he, he got stuck on that point and there's so much that we, we we they've made us just you know they were efficient at making us doubt ourselves like you said earlier and we just sold ourselves short and said yeah we you know we, we weren't civilized and they came and civilized us but the same people wrote in their own records like these guys are so smart they're so intelligent we showed up to their land and we didn't two months they're already speaking our own language they learned our language and like, they're using it to trade with us and they're offering us better terms they have changed the terms of agreement that we came with and said they want better deals and we're like, uh, yeah, we, we we can't keep up with this. And they wrote it down in their own. <laughs> it's, 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 you can find it in all their museums. It's in their archives. And we don't have that in our, our own side. We don't have It's in their side. And Well, they, to be honest, they stole it. Yeah, they so, stole it. It's true. Uh, it's true. I mean, you know, uh, and it's not only to African countries. They of did course. it to all indigenous cultures. Yeah. You know, so... Um, Unfortunately, you know, the, the, yeah, we don't want to work too much, too much on that. Um, ah, but anyway, let's, it takes, let's, it takes a, away from our um, wisdom, uh, I would say. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I just recommend that people. People, people, and I encourage people to, you know, read Sankofa and also invest in, in knowing your history, your, your real history. And I, I believe you you start to change the way you, you think about things. So one 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 thing that impressed me about um, another thing that impressed me from your book was the way you talked about your relationship with your grandmother and your mother, and you know dealing with the 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 whole transitioning of the your the dynamic of um, you know you are much closer to your grandmother than your mom. But at the same time, you recognized the role of your mom and the lessons, you know, your, the, the impact of your mom in your life. So right. um, how, how, how would you put that? I don't want you to give too much spoilers because I'm still trying. I want to encourage people to get the book as okay. much as possible. Right. So okay. how will you, and you know, put that in words, like, you know, as part of your growing up and, you know, for people who have a difficult relationship with their with their um moms and with their just grow you know people with difficult relationships with their families how would how would you you know uh, encourage them to with with your story well as you said not to give too much away but um as i mentioned earlier i grew up with my grandmother because you know at a certain point in my life i recognized from the time I was living with her was the time my father had passed away, yeah. right? And my father passed away, I was two and a half years old. So I don't know at what point I came to live with my grandmother, but I knew that she was the first person I could relate to as a mother, mm. right? And I didn't meet my mother till probably when I was eight or nine years old. Okay. so. By that time, 
the bond between my grandmother and me had, you know, was very strong. Mm. Um, and, you know, she, she loved me um, and I loved her. And so as a child, then all of a sudden you are introduced to, you know, your mother, this is your mother, and this is, you know, your other siblings, you know, kind of thing. So it took some adjustment. My grandmother's approach as a grandmother will be very different from my mother's. Um, And they both had very good intentions towards, you know, my well-being, except they were two different things. Mm-hmm. So I had to adjust to both. But as I grew up, and, you know, especially when my, after my grandmother passed away, um, and my relationship with my mother uh, was getting better, you know, not because um, it was bad. She was just strict. And my grandmother <laughs> would let me do anything I wanted, yeah. right? Pretty that, much. That freedom. <laughs> right. Uh, but within the structure of discipline, it's just that it wasn't so um, demanding, right? Um, within those structures, I had to kind of walk through a fine line in pleasing both, mm. right? And, and it, was, it was when I was in high school, but I think one of the things that made my relationship with my mother difficult was when I had to leave and go to boarding school. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that, that was tough because I didn't like it at all. And so then it looked like, okay, why am I away from home? But being away from home also makes you detached from really developing any relationships that you have at home. You be, you'll be separated most of the year anyway. Yeah. You go to school, you come home for a week or two, Christmas, Easter time, and then summertime. Mm. That's the only time you're home. Otherwise, you're living somewhere else True. with other people. Um, so that diminished the possibilities of developing that deep relationship that I had with my uh, grandmother, mm. with my mother, you know, it's, uh, but, you know, by the t- time I left high school and was in school in the city, um, and when my grandmother passed away, was when my mother and I became extremely close, yeah. because, you know, all the family members were living elsewhere, it was always me and my mother and my grandmother, mm. you know, and my brother to some extent. So the three of us also formed a whole new relationship and dynamic, and uh, it worked very well, uh, you know. And then I'm I'm grateful for that. So I think uh, you just reminded me of something. Uh, yeah, I think it was one of my nieces. I don't know who said that. But uh, I think it was somebody visiting back in the days, in the 90s, and I think it was one of my sister's friends. And it was my second niece that I referenced earlier, who was always inquisitive, but they, they considered her uh, troublesome then. And I think they, they said, uh, the person said, um, 
They'll cause trouble right now. But when they become older, they'll be, ah, they'll be close to you. Don't worry. Give, give her time. Give her time. That's what the person said. So, right. <laughs> so but uh, right now she's pretty close to my sister, which I wasn't expecting because I was expecting her to, to, to move on. And so I guess with uh, the more she got older, age, uh, they, they got to the stage where they could see things from, they, 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 they weren't that, uh, the friction wasn't there anymore in their relationship. Right. I'll put it that way. Yeah. So, you know, the good thing is knowing that they both had good intentions for me and my yeah. well-being, right? Yeah. And so whatever was occurring was me trying to understand the dynamic, you know, and how I could relate to both, you know, with different approaches to life. My grandmother being very traditional and my mother being more westernized, right? Yeah. You know, uh, approach to um, doing the European thing um, very well. So it was interesting. So would you like to talk about your boarding school experience? Well, boarding school, <laughs> boarding school was to me horrifying because... Um, when I talk about my childhood experiences and what I loved about my childhood was me having the freedom, yes. you know, to really experience things, experience life, um, you know, go hiking with my brothers and his friends, um, which normally a girl wouldn't do. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I play soccer with them. Um, we did a lot of different things, which to me was, oh, my God. Uh, so loving. And, and then all of a sudden, I'm pushed into this place, which is very far away from, from my perspective at that time. I was uh, going on 11 when I was in boarding school. And that's very young, right? And you go into this place with a whole slew of strangers, obviously coming from similar homes like mine, but we were all strangers. Yeah. Um, and you know, you, you're far away from home, so you can't visit home or say you want something. You have everything you need for the term. Um, and you relate to your friends. You have to make new friends. Yes. And you have bullies and you have people who will torment you uh, for no reason, just because they could, where are you gonna go? You know? And so for somebody who was free spirited, and finding myself within those confines was extremely difficult. I, I, I couldn't uh, relate to it. I, I was horrified, especially my middle boarding school. Yeah. I was. Mm -hmm. So uh, I, I think most people who have been on the podcast who went to boarding school around your age um, had similar experiences. Right. So yeah, it's it, and I I I I, I was lucky. I, I wanted to go to boarding school when I was around that age, and I I didn't pass the common entrance to to getting there. And yeah, I probably would have. Oh, I, that, yeah, I would I would have struggled. I would have struggled. There, there's no, it, it, yeah, <laughs> there's it no is doubt struggling. about it because it was like three states away. <laughs> the boarding school I was trying to go to. <laughs> 
you know, <laughs> I think there's a there's a deeper question about boarding schools and why they were set up, right? Mm-hmm. By the British, right? So one, you you come in and you want to institute your uh, process on everything within the system. The easiest way was education, right? Yes. So you remove the kids from home and put them in an environment where they couldn't uh, be going back and forth home, asking questions to the people who love them the most, Exactly. you yeah. know, et cetera. So if you're isolated, you are more likely, it is easier to break your spirit. It's easier to, um, for you to just adopt what you're being taught so you can have some peace, right? It's a military military tactics, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. It is, because that's what they do to us in boot camp. Right. Yeah, exactly. People just look at it as since it's, you know, you you wear the same uniform, you you, you kept, the abuse and everything is there. Because in boot camp, your, your brain is being, change you, you you don't go into boot camp the same and come you go in and come out you don't it's not the same you're not the same person that goes in and come out and right you go in and, as a and, civilian come out as a soldier yeah. sailor marine or whatever and but in school it's technically it's the same it's the same thing yeah it's the same thing right so oh man so um uh, yeah last year there was uh, a story that caught my eye from uh, the Ghanaian uh from news coming from Ghana, when um, a few prominent women made public that they were sexually assaulted and molested while um, while they were very young, and it led to a lot of discussion online. And people, uh, this was around when the Ghanaian government was talking about introducing sex education. In, in the school curriculums, uh, I think it was primary schools that they wanted to do that with. And all of a sudden, there was disinformation and disinformation um, attacks, uh, religious institutions jumped in with the wrong information, of course, and uh, leading to the government asking, uh, government claiming that they postponed the, the decision, but they didn't say it was canceled. But I, I, I was fascinated that um, a lot of prominent Ghanaian women spoke up, made public that this had happened to them. And, you know, it was similar to what I'd read in your book. And from what I'm familiar with also in Nigeria, it wasn't like a surprise to me, knowing what I know from... from just what I know, it's it's not, it's not a surprise because I also know when something like this became uh, popular, also in, uh, not popular, but when a lot of people made it public in Nigeria and other African countries and it, it was being discussed, it had a similar reaction, but the only mm-hmm. difference was that there was no sex education talk. So uh, do you think it was a missed opportunity for Ghana not to go forward with the introduction of sex education in schools? I think it's a missed opportunity. Um, every time we cover up violence against women, oh. it, it because if we were to flip the coin and imagine the government hearing that women were 
you know, assaulting young men, what would they have done? They wouldn't have tabled it. They would have put out a message out to say, these women are doing X, Y, and Z, and it's horrifying, et cetera, et cetera. When we flip the tables, the women always, uh, you know, young girls, we, it, it have to be silent yeah. until, you know, we give you permission to talk. Mm-hmm. Or until, I mean, where would you go? Uh, who would solve that problem, right? Sex education is important. In my own experience, one of the things that struck me was that because in our home, um, it wasn't within our, my frame of reference that people could be violent in that manner. Yes. I never was prepared for it, right? If somebody invited me to his home, especially when my parents and you know my family had said entrusted me to his care, mm-hmm. I expected that he would care for me the way my family would care for anybody in our home. But because of the void in uh, explaining these uh, situations in schools to girls, we almost walk in blind into these situations. You don't see it coming, right? It's just right in front of you and you, you don't have any recourse. And I think it's horrifying. You know, that I think I think the government missed an opportunity to do the right thing. And I always say this in most of my teachings is when we are beginning to uh, address issues in our society. And this one says, oh, but we have to wait because of this. Oh, we can't do it because of this. The question is, is it right or wrong? Is it right or wrong that men are able to do this to young girls? If your answer is no, then you approach it a different way. But we know what the true real answer is. Mm-hmm. It is wrong. Yes. Take the steps to correct it, right? I, I can find you so many examples in society where we ignore doing the right thing. Is it right or wrong that in 2020 we have kids in cages? The answer is simple. That's right. Is it right? Is it right or wrong that uh, people buy guns to sh- kill kids in schools? The answer is simple. Mm-hmm. And if we start approaching issues that way, then we'll be able to find the common ground where we can resolve the issue. When we start thinking of which constituents' rights will be affected if we addressed it, then we leave things out there unresolved forever. Mm. And within that time it's unresolved, how many more young girls will be raped, assaulted, or Mm. killed even? True. Yeah. Yeah, I think they missed the opportunity to do the right thing. So about um, almost two years ago, yeah, about two years ago, there was something that blew up on Twitter called um, the hashtag was Arewa, Arewa Me Too. And mm-hmm. I don't know who started it, but 
it was supposed to be um, uh, around the Me Too movement, but for Northern Nigeria. Mm-hmm. And surprisingly, it led to a lot of men coming out to publicly uh, ad- to uh, publicly admitting that they were sexually molested, even admitting to being raped by mm-hmm. men. And it was this same thing of someone who they were entrusted to, to mm-hmm. look after them or someone who their family had, you know, was close to their family, religious personnel, uh, family friends. And, you know, they were, and they were mostly kids and the person took advantage of them. And, but people were surprised by the number of Northern men, because Northern part of Nigeria is the most conservative. And people just felt they, 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 could, they came out and there were actually groups that provided uh, mental health support to a lot of these men. And people were just like blown away, like, wow. So this thing is not just only women that it's happening to, it's happening to men. And then, then the, the message became, okay, so why can't we address it once and for all? This is the opportunity to address it. And nothing really came out from that. It was just like, okay, the men came out. Now, so men, men are, so you know this, this problem exists because now you know it affects both men. It's not just right. only women. So let's right. address it. And then it's like, oh, well, a woman started it. So, you know, and then it just faded away. And I was like, oh my God. This is, the, but I thought this was it. This was it. We can finally come together. And, and the two things that are happening is one, do we have the courage to address it? And two, um, we tend to always wait for somebody else to take the lead, right? Who is going to do it? So because of that, things kind of get shuffled and mm-hmm. you know, tabled and who is going to take the responsibility for addressing this very painful issue. But but the issue is there are predators amongst us. True. And for as long as we don't address it, those predators are able to move on, you know, because we can't expose them Mm -hmm. if nobody is talking. Yeah. Right. So they keep doing what they're doing, which is very sad, actually. It's very sad. It is. It is. I know um, a few groups um, all over Nigeria who are still fighting um, mm-hmm. to see more do- being done. Uh, fortunately, one of the governors in the northern part of Nigeria came up with a law recently um, claim, um, offering death sentence to anyone being caught. But the law puts the, as usual, puts everything on the victim. And right. I'm like, so how's that going to solve anything? It's still back to square one. So, yeah, but we are, we're, we're not giving up. We're, we're not giving up. We're still, the fight we keep, continues. We keep fighting, right? Yeah, the fight we keep, continues. You know, uh, putting it out there and see maybe one day we'll have the conscience to do the right thing. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And that, that, that's why when uh, the, um, our, our brethren in, in Namibia were protesting, I, I, I put up um, the hashtag, for them to show solidarity. And I keep doing that every now and then. If that's the only thing I can do, I'll do that. You know? Right. That's good. That's yeah. good. So uh, let me jump forward. I'm running short of time. Um, <laughs> so you moved around a few countries. 
you know, before coming to um, um, United States. Well, you you st- you st- primarily you primarily stayed in one country, but you got to visit a whole bunch of places right. before you eventually end up in United States. So, amongst the places that you visited or got to, including where you stayed in, what was the um. Was there any culture shock that stood out to you the most or one place that surprised you the most when you visited? Well, um, I would say this delicately. Um, I loved being in Italy, um, you know, because I was um, the only black person uh, miles in the area where I lived. And I never once had a problem, not once. Nobody insulted me, nobody said anything. Um, actually, they were very welcoming. Um, I learned the language, uh, you know, when I went to the grocery store, somebody would stop what they were doing and come and say, hey, come, come, let me show you, you know, what is good and what is not so good to buy. Um, they looked out for me um, every day. It, it, it was just wonderful. So that is, if I were, apart from my home country, Ghana, mm-hmm. I'd go to Italy any day. And, and, uh, and that was in Rome? Yes, I lived in Rome, but I, I traveled all the way to Milan, into this, you know, into Switzerland. Oh, you know, it was fun. Just taking the train and uh, you could go anywhere. It was just that easy and, and uh, wonderful. And, being adventurous, you know, I always was out there uh, trying something, you know, making friends. It was so easy to make friends. Um, and so my Italian friends would bring me to their families. I had, you know, um, had an Italian boyfriend, you know, it, it was it was fun. I was young. Um, coming to this country was the most surprising. Uh, because you know we we know about racism etc yeah. but i hadn't experienced it first hand mm. right um and it was shocking to me to um see that you know somebody woke up and believed that because they had a different uh, skin tone they were better than me yeah. that was shocking to me I, I just couldn't process that i still can't process it uh, and, you know, when I say that, people look at me like, what? Do you, I'm not being funny. I can't process it because I know we go into our history and we look at how we were, our ancestors, etc. Mm-hmm. They, they weren't riffraffs, you know, searching for food and, and these people came to save us. Yeah. We, we have, we come from kings and queens. Mm hmm. Right. And our ancestors also had their system of, you know, and we still have them. It's not even like it's something out there that we've never experienced. In my town that we live in, we have a king and we have a queen mother and we have our traditions and cultures and how to be proud and etc. So coming here and experiencing this was mind blowing for me. But it was the way it was weaponized, or it is weaponized in our system, that even is more surprising, right? Mm -hmm. So for example, you go to work and, you know, with 
whatever qualifications I have, I have a department that I'm running and my staff all being white um, had the tools they could use to make my life extremely difficult. Mm -hmm. One of them was if I gave them instruction to do something, then they would say, oh, uh, we don't understand her. It's almost like I'm speaking a different kind of English. Yeah. Um, or they would um, go report to the supervisor that I was treating them a certain way. In fact, one of the guys, you know, uh, saw me in the hallway one afternoon and went to report to my supervisor that when I saw him, I didn't say hello to him. Um, and so, you know, I, I got called in, summoned in to ask why I did that. And I'm like, well, he could say hello to me first, right? Yeah. Um, I'm the supervisor, if anything at all, but you know, it, it was, it, so it got difficult, really difficult. Um, and, and this is, it's still something you have to process every day, mm -hmm. right? Every single day. Um, you know, I have a, a video that I did recently, um, talking about our humanity, but you know, some of it I didn't even address, you know, like one time I um, had to go to, I went to the park, I had just leased a brand new car and I was so proud of myself, you know, and um, I had a dog, so we go for our walks and everything. And as I got out of my car, you know, this guy approached me um, and we talked a little bit, you know, he liked my car, et cetera. And, you know, we go for a walk. Now there weren't that many people there, so I could just one plus one, you know, uh, uh, draw the conclusion. By the time I came back to my car, he had keyed wow. my car um, to, you know, and I I can remember the pain I felt, you know, for for that, for what you know, yeah. And there are so many stories like that, you know, or somebody will call my daughter the N word mm -hmm. and, you know, it, how painful that is. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, this country um, always, always have something that kind of hits you in the, in the gut that is not, that doesn't feel good. Um, yeah, oh, so. not, I, I, I know how you feel. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I know. No, no, that, 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 that be, it's, uh, I know it's, uh, it, it, it took me, I, I was one of those who tried not to see it. And yeah, but it, it was always there. And yeah, I saw it and I was like, yeah, it's, it's, it's one thing to, to, to hear about it and then see it in person. And right. then you're like, wow, it's, I, I just, I feel sad for them. And you know, I'm at the stage where I don't, I don't even. Before I used to get mad at them, and but now I don't. No, you can't get uh, mad because it's just my health that gets damaged. If I no, you cannot, you mind. cannot get mad. You have to find a way to sidestep it. Yeah, because otherwise you won't be able to do anything um, purposeful. Yeah. Right. So unfortunately, I didn't manage my time properly. So I'll have to start wrapping up. So okay. I, I couldn't dive up. I couldn't dive into uh, a few questions I would have loved to, but I have to ask one fun question at least. So, okay. with everywhere that you've been to, with all the the the, the journey that you've had, 
uh, when it comes to music, where does your heart belong to? Oh my goodness. Um, <laughs> well, being adventurous, I would say that I enjoy a range of you know music. I love high life, of course, which is my traditional um, music. But, oh, if you, you if you know, hadn't said high life, we would have counseled you. I'd say yes, counsel. Oh counsel no no no, high life is you know <laughs> high life is it. Um, and and you know I enjoy reggae. Um, I oh. love jazz. Okay. Um, so yeah, I, I experience different. Um, forms All right, of you music. can you can come back again. Your 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 three choices pass the test. Okay. All right. <laughs> I give you three. I give you three. <laughs> I give you three. High life, reggae, and jazz. See, yeah, your the the excellent choices right there. We we can't we we can't we, we can't have we can never have a fight. Me and you. you those those three choices. The you, you can't fight anybody who, who's three, whose three choices are high life, jazz, and reggae. You know, that's it. Right. Excellent choices right there. But what about food when it comes to food? Your, well, what, what, your favorite dish? From Ghana um, is, well, we have peanut soup. Oh, that, man. That, peanut soup with rice, uh, you know, rice fufu. Or, I don't eat fufu, but, you know, if it's made with rice, I'll eat it. Oh, fufu um, made with rice? Mm -hmm. No, no, uh, it's 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 rice, oh, but you oh, make it into rice the, with the, the okay. ball with the soup, right? Okay, yeah. So, yeah, it's not, it's not the traditional fufu. Oh, okay, um, yeah. Right, no. My, my daughter um, eats all of them, but uh, yeah, she loves, course, she loves peanut soup. Yeah, and of course, jollof rice. Um, oh, 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 Ghanaian jollof or Nigerian jollof? No, 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 Ghana jollof rice is the best. <laughs> 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 Josh is agreeing with you, but he didn't say anything when, when my wife was here. My wife said Nigerian jollof was the best. I, I don't I don't take sides. I eat everybody's jollof, so they don't cancel me. I eat everybody's jollof. But well, um, I'm biased. I think Ghana jollof is you know. <laughs> Ghana jollof is it? Uh, I, I think I've eaten almost all the West African jollof, and I've eaten Cameroonian and Congolese jollof. So. Yeah, I'm, I'm the I guy who eats everybody's jollof. I don't tell you who, which one is the best. I just keep eating everybody's jollof. No, I think jollof. Ghana tops, tops all that. <laughs> <laughs> I won't change my mind on that one. <laughs> ah. All right. I think we'll, we'll have to do a part two so I can cover the other topics that I didn't get to cover today. Okay, and, thank you um, so much. No, no, our thanks goes to you because uh, you, you gave me your time and I appreciate you a lot. And um, so... Uh, for the final question, can you, uh, what would you like to leave the guest with? You know, it could be anything, it could be a quote, it could be just a message, just uh, anything you'd like to leave the audience with for today. Well, one of the things that I um, live by daily is that we all should have a spiritual practice of some sort. And because it attunes us to who we truly are as you know spiritual beings in this physical experience um and once we do that we are able to integrate so many uh parts i always say that the universe endowed it with so much there's so many resources good things that we could all experience and make life better for each other right so that's that's my um heart 
you know, that's where I put my heart every day um, uh, to appreciate what the universe has given us um, and to use it appropriately to benefit others. So, all right, that's, that's beautiful. So, um, where can the audience find you if they want to get in touch with you? Well, um, on my website at mensima.com, uh, I have email and um, phone number there. All right. Or they can send me a message. My book is also on the website, so they can order directly from there. Okay. So. And I'll, I'll be posting the link um, on the show notes along uh, with, yeah, I'll, I'll post the link on the show notes when I release the episode. And I can't thank you enough once again. And I'll Thank definitely you. arrange for a part two so we, we'll dive more into your immigrant journey. Uh, and... I would love to do that. I would love to do that. <laughs> All right. And you'll get Sankofa. If you haven't read Sankofa, please do. It's a, an enjoyable book. Um, it's a great book, fascinating and beautiful story. And I can't recommend it enough. And thank you all who, who joined us. Don't forget to give us five stars and keep rating and sharing. Thank you all for your company and see you at the next episode. Thanks for listening to White Label American. If you enjoyed the show, we'll appreciate if you rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts from. If you have any questions, comments, or have someone who will be a good guest on the show, or you want to be on the show, send us a message at whitelabelamerican at gmail.com. And make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at White Label American. Thank you for your support.